Neo. No one has ever done anything like this. That's why it's going to work. Hello, loyal listeners. We are back. Welcome to Grumpy Octopus Presents Wachowski Watch. This is our second episode. I'm Vicky. I'm Camden. Yay! And today we are talking about the one, the only, the Matrix. Except there are three of them. There are. Yes, this is true. But this is the first one. <laughs> so uh, it is also the second film uh, by the Wachowskis. Came out in 1999. Yes. Yep. And we are talking about it today. We're very excited. There is a lot to talk about, so uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. You ready? You ready yes, to rock? Yes, I am ready. All right. We can first start out doing our usual. When did you first hear about The Matrix? Oh. When were you first aware of it? When did you see it? And what were your first initial thoughts? Well, I don't really know. I, I didn't see it in the theater. But I definitely saw it around when it came out, and I was pretty young. I think it may have been the first R-rated movie I saw, actually. Nice. But I, I can't quote myself on that. So it was probably around uh, the year 2000 or 2001, because uh, the sequels came out in 2003, yes. I believe. And I was definitely uh, excited for them, for a little bit at least. So I had seen the movie uh, a while before that. Uh, probably, I'm going to guess just after it came out on home video around 2000 and can't remember my first viewing specifically but I remember always liking it the many many times I saw it it probably also being one of those movies that I used to skip over all the talking scenes and get to the action parts I did that more with the sequels actually but Mm. particular with with the Matrix I I guess it had exactly the effect on me that people always talk about maybe yeah. not quite the same because you didn't see it in theaters yeah and also because i think a lot of people who were maybe a, a bit older at least at the time they had more of a wealth of movie knowledge in their heads you know so mm-hmm. i don't know they had more context for for why it was yes. kind of a big deal yeah. uh, to me it was just a big deal because i thought it was the coolest thing ever but you know i wouldn't have necessarily understood uh, how it differed from movies in the past. Mm. But still, I think pretty much, you know, I got the experience of uh, not knowing what The Matrix was before I watched it, which is probably hard to do if you come to it these days and you haven't seen it. (laughs) It's one of those types of movies, but not even, you know, like the Sixth Sense or something where it's about like... One twist. A twist. It's like everyone just knows the whole premise because any time that is used, you know, virtual reality in anything people tend to refer back to it now because Mm -hmm. it's the the primary successful example of such in a blockbuster movie yeah so that's that's when i saw it Uh, when did you see it i'm trying to remember i was really late to the game i'm pretty sure i saw it in high school so a couple years after the sequels came out i was always aware of it it was always in the background i remember seeing posters for Reloaded and Revolutions in theaters being like, oh, they made sequels to that movie that I haven't seen. <laughs> but people talked about it, and it was kind of like the, ooh, it's an R-rated movie, and our parents let us go see it. Yeah. And I never I never got around to it, I think, until high school. And I didn't know much about it, uh, which is kind of tricky because it permeated pop culture so much. I mean, it's been spoofed so many times, so it's really hard to come at it with a, a completely clean slate. Yeah. without having like some general understanding of what's going on or at the very least what the action scenes look like so like i i knew about bullet time yeah i was kind of like you like i didn't know much about in every action history. movie <laughs> yes in every action movie since there's just bullet time galore and slow motion action but yeah like you said i wasn't really in in tune with why it had such a huge impact on the film industry as a whole so when I first watched it, I was just like, oh, this is really cool. And it kind of blew my mind a little bit um, just because it's like the action scenes are amazing. And then on top of that, you have a really, really cool premise that is not, you know, usually as successful. 
and yeah. the blockbuster sci-fi. Like it's it's very very smart. It's very dense, <laughs> and um, there's a lot of multiple philosophies and stuff like that, I suppose, going on. So uh, there's a lot of references to, you know, whether it's biblical or science mm-hmm. or just philosophical theories that, you know, obviously I did not get and still do not get, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I, I can't catch every single one of them. But yeah, I remember just watching it and being like, this is super cool. And I remember just picking up on a lot of what the... Alice in Wonderland references. Yeah. First time. Yeah. Another interesting thing, actually, about the Matrix for me as a whole, with mm. with all three of them, is that it was one of those series. Uh, this happened to me a lot when I was a kid for some reason, where I would just become disinterested in things very quickly, mm. even if I was really into them. It's not like I was disappointed with them. I just moved on to something else. Mm-hmm. And I remember that happening with a few different things, like with the the Star Wars prequels. I I was really into The Phantom Menace. And yeah. Then, like, I liked The Attack of the Clones, and by the time Revenge of the Sith came out, I just didn't even bother to see it in the theaters. Yeah, and even, it, yeah. it was strange, because I liked it. It's just, like, by the time another year had passed, my mind just went, like, oh, I don't care anymore. Yeah. And The Matrix was kind of like that for me, too. I loved the first one, and I watched the second one over and over, mainly for the action scenes. Mm-hmm. And then I saw the third one probably once, and then I didn't think about it again until way later yeah, when same. I actually came back to them to try to see them with a the older eye. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, what I liked about The Matrix is it, it's really, it's fun to watch more and like looking back on it uh, just because of what we're probably going to talk about, the impact it had. But I mean, it came out in 99, and that is also when The Phantom Menace came out. And obviously, Phantom Menace is the first Star Wars movie in a really long time. It was the prequels, and nobody really knew what to expect about it. So that seemed to be the big sci-fi movie of the moment. And then this one just kind of blew it out of the water. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of it's fun to see that it, it has definitely a, a bigger cultural impact. I, probably, at least for the first movie, in a more positive way than Star Wars did. And I freaking love Star Wars, but... Matrix over Phantom Menace, guys. That's great. You, hear, you heard <laughs> it first a, from me. A really bold opinion. Thank you. Right there, thank you. So. I'll be excited and shocked to see what the loyal listeners yeah, think to that. Yeah, if you disagree, feel free yeah, to um, let us tell know. us. But um, no, it's just it's nice to you know have something that kind of comes out of the blue from directors where they've only previously done one movie. They've done Bound, and obviously they'd been kind of planning and working together on the matrix and wanting to do that first and so it was nice to see it come to fruition mm-hmm. and have a, a studio take a chance on them especially with the i believe we were watching the behind the scenes and they said it's like the script in hollywood that nobody understood but they thought yeah. it was really cool so they wanted to somehow get it made we know we both seen it now yes so so many times <laughs> what should we talk about besides Gosh. the fact that we have seen it we could give a really... I don't even know if it's necessary, just because it's so big. But we could give a really quick summary if we wanted to. We don't okay, okay. have to. We can try and... Let's, let's do it in, in brief. I can do it. Okay. In the most shallow of terms. Yes. Our protagonist, Neo, his name actually, uh, Thomas, that's right. Thomas, Thomas Anderson. Anderson. Correct. Yes. Uh, in, the, by... in the world, played by Keanu Reeves. Ugh. Uh, and essentially, he is contacted by some some mysterious people who re- reveal to him that the world he is living in is actually called the Matrix, and it is not the real world. It is a virtual simulation. Uh, representation, simulation yes. of the real world that a bunch of machines have created. AI, you know, and there was a battle between. Uh, AI and and humans and essentially they won the AI and they created this world to put most of us so we wouldn't know that it was happening we wouldn't know we lost and they could just use us for energy yes I think I, I wrote down I wrote down the world's worst Duracell battery commercial yes, yes. Neo is saved by our other cast members including uh, Morpheus by Lawrence Fishburne and Trinity played by Carrie Ann Moss and a whole bunch of other crew members, but we don't need to list no, all No, but we should mention one crew member who we all know and oh, love. Oh, yes. From, uh, from Bound, guys. Joey Pants. That's right, our very own Joey Pants. Who, his name is not Joey Pants in this movie, Surprise. sadly, but it is It wasn't in the last Cypher. movie either. Yes. 
Yeah, Cypher. And essentially, they are trying to convince, well, mainly Morbius is trying to convince Neo that he is the prophesized the one that is supposed to save them all from the machines. And throughout the movie, Neo self-actualizes and realizes he is the one by yes. the end of it, through many obstacles and difficulties. Yes. And, you know, that's the premise of the movie at this point. I don't know why you haven't seen it. Yeah. Everyone's seen it. Seriously. This isn't like Bound. No. No, you seriously should have seen this one by now, guys. Even if you don't like it, I feel like, unlike Bound, where if you haven't seen any of the Wachowski stuff and you may enjoy Bound with The Matrix, I feel like you need to see it even if you don't think you will enjoy it because it had such a major impact on everything else that follows it. Mm -hmm. So, yes. Go do it. Come back in two hours and... 19 minutes or yeah, something like that? something like that. Yeah. We just watched it. Oh, 16 minutes. Oh, two hours, 16 minutes, folks. You don't have to watch the credits. You can if you want. There's a lot of Rage Against the Machine <laughs> music going on. It'll get you pumped. You're going to get really stoked. But anyway, so do you have a, a favorite scene in this movie or sequence? Ooh, yes. I would I would say almost to, to split it into categories. There are too many good ones. There are a lot. Uh, but I... I do actually really like, as I was mentioning to you, a scene where Neo learns how to do martial arts. The dojo scene? Yes, dojo scene where he, he uh, spars with Morpheus because it's just the most pure expression of the fun of, you know, that kind of martial arts that they put into the movie. It's, you know, there are other more stressful scenes later where they're mm-hmm. in real danger. Mm-hmm. But there's something for me about him learning it and, and how much fun he has with it that feels like the fun you're having in the audience sort of and uh it's just always something i get excited for you know if if i've ever seen it on tv like i i will watch that scene yeah you did mention this earlier when we were watching it that with this particular one the first one in the trilogy especially the dojo scene i mean obviously with the first one in a trilogy especially for a sci-fi um, series. It's the big exposition with the world building, explaining the rules and stuff. But like you said, there's a sense of joy that you get out of this one that you probably don't get with the other two, just because, like Neo, the audience is discovering it for the first time, and that kind of culminates in the dojo scene, mm-hmm. which is fun. That's a really good one, just for for the joy of movie watching. Which yes, is the big thing I get from the Matrix in a sense. You know, the the sequels. It's my enjoyment of them is a bit more rooted in thinking about them and what they're trying to say and all this slightly more you know to the head stuff the the first movie is more just goes straight through you (laughs) yeah it's a good scene because it's it's fun because you get to see the action and the potential for what they can do within the simulation but it's also good because it, it explains it in a fun way like you have morpheus telling neo the rules like hey is that air you're breathing, which is yeah. awesome. And gravity doesn't work the same way. You're not as slow as you think you are. You're much faster. And it's just kind of... In a, a scene where you're getting a lot of exposition and rules, it could have been a bit of a downer or like kind of a throwaway, and they just instead made it a big set piece. Mm-hmm. And it's fun because it's it's got the... Oh, what you mm. call it? <laughs> it's I don't got, know. I was, well, I was thinking it's impressive. They basically managed to make the training montage one of the best parts of the film yeah which is not common yeah it's what i was trying to say is it's um they did a nice job of kind of combining their sensibilities the wachowskis they're doing you know it's a it's a sci-fi movie and yet if you were to turn it on with no nothing about it you're watching them fight in a dojo yeah and you're just like what is this and it's just kind of a nice mix of you know the the martial arts style that they're going for but in a cyberpunk yeah Fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> no, cool. no. But it's also really cool because they, we we watched the behind the scenes guys because we're cool. That fight scene took forever for them to shoot, and yeah. all the actors had to do months and months of training, intensive training. It's one of the pluses of of the action scenes in general. Yes, it's for not, sure. Uh, they don't have to use stunt doubles. No. I mean, they do, but I mean, yeah, they of course try they still do them. sometimes. But you know, the majority of the choreography you're seeing is yeah. is the actual actors. Yeah. Which is awesome, because I think it, not to say that this didn't happen prior to The Matrix, but I think uh, The Matrix set a really high bar in the future for action 
films for yeah. actors to it kind of becomes the standard they have to train for months and months so they can actually do the scenes and train with the fight choreographers obviously not all action films but i think this kind of set people up of look as an actor you are capable of actually being able to train and do this mm-hmm. so now we're expecting you to which you know kind of elevates the fight scenes just knowing like oh god i've never done anything like that on screen before and clearly they trained so they can do it now because you can just see, especially with the dojo scene, the amount of work they put into it is intense. So, yes. what's your favorite scene? My favorite scene? I really like... What scene do I like? I like the lobby scene. It's a classic. It's a classic. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of to the point where it's cliche, but I just really like it because it's the first time. It's like, you know, the gearing up momentum, which I think is also why I really like Speed Racer. There's a, this one scene that happens where, you know... Everything has gone to hell, and they they have two options, and the easiest option would be just kind of leave it alone and let things happen. Mm -hmm. So in this case, you know, Morpheus has been caught, and they want to unplug him because he has secrets to the mainframe that the agents are going to break into and essentially destroy all of Zion. And so that's their option. It's the easiest option is to unplug him so they can't get those codes. And instead, Neo is, you know, doing his self-actualization, and he's like, no. There has to be another yes, way. Yes, they choose option C. Yes, and so that whole sequence of them getting guns and Trinity saying, like, no one has ever done this before. And he's like, that's why it's going to work. <laughs> and then they do the lobby scene. It's not quite, you know, the, the Agent Smith fight scene, but it's the first instance where you get to see Neo in the Matrix, knowing it's the Matrix, and actually get to use some of his abilities. His Plus, it's, like, just beautifully choreographed and just... It's just there's so much damage in that scene. I love it. There's I wish there was a more intellectual reason for it, but I just like <laughs> that they blow shit up in that. So and it, yeah, it just looks really cool. They're good at that. Yeah, they're very good at it. They I believe they storyboarded a ton for it to try and break it down sense. for everybody who couldn't visualize it in the script. But yeah, the the shot composition and just we could go on and on about we this could, movie. We could. Honestly, there's a lot. There's a lot to unfold. What else do we want to talk about? Question that I've actually never really thought about. Uh, Yes. Who is your favorite character in the Matrix? In the the Matrix series or in this this particular movie? There are some people who aren't all them anyway. This is true. Um, hmm. I always really liked Trinity. I think just because she's this no-nonsense character, but it does hinge upon her having a romantic subplot that is very subdued but incredibly vital to the whole story. And I understand people do have uh, problems with this being a trope in action movies where there's the the girl who's clearly more capable at the beginning than the hero and she doesn't get to be the chosen one. I do understand that's a complaint people have, particularly with Trinity, but also in lots of other movies. But I still enjoy her a lot. i definitely say that she is in the romance plot, but mm-hmm. she is also very much allowed to be a very strong uh, character who mm-hmm. is very uh, in charge and you know uh, ordering Neo around near the end of the movie honestly. yeah she has He's a, not in charge she has, aside from Morpheus <laughs> on the crew she has the highest authority mm-hmm. which I really enjoy and she kicks a lot of ass and she's also you know she's the one that we start with which is great True. similar to Violet <laughs> with uh, Corky and Bound she's the one that draws us the surrogate audience into the world so mm-hmm. I enjoy her. She's a badass. When you're talking about the opening scene and how the way the characters are portrayed and, you know, dress and everything Mm -hmm. is the kind of thing in a different movie where Trinity might be the villain. Yes. But of course, you can talk about that. That's your thing. Uh, The Wachowskis love their leather. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I guess it's the opening scene is probably one of my all time favorite opening scenes for a film just because. I would have paid such big money to see this in theaters when it first came out. Just like I said, I mean, you and I saw it with a little bit of background, kind of vaguely knowing what it was, but to go in and have no idea what um, what The Matrix is or what this movie is even about. I mean, the opening scene would just completely grab you just because it starts where you don't know who any of the players are. You don't know who's good or bad. You're assuming, you know, the cops have come to arrest this woman and then these really shady guys, it's in the middle of the night, they're wearing friggin' sunglasses, are like, you shouldn't have sent the men up there. 
and they're like, I think we can handle a little girl. And Agent Smith, who we have to talk about because Mm -hmm. our love for Hugo Weaving is very strong, but he says uh, they're already dead. And it's great because then it cuts to this really intense fight scene that is flashes with guns and flashlights and you get to see her climb the wall and then she's running from these agents defying gravity and she's in these really weird clothes and then she escapes through a telephone and you're just like what the fuck did i just see what is this and it's great because you're you're not really sure what the hell is going on and the assumption of who's good and who's bad is kind of murky until the the sequence finishes because you're assuming you know the police is arresting a bad guy but then there's these other agents and what are they about they don't seem to be human because Mm -hmm. they're hopping over rooftops but she doesn't seem to be human either it's just it's a great opening because it draws you in because the the action scenes are intense but also it leaves you wanting to figure out what's going on and asking more questions it leaves you really confused but really entertained Mm -hmm. it also had a very similar opening abound where there's kind of a voiceover yeah and with Bound, it's just flashbacks of dialogue that's already happened. But with The Matrix, it's just a voiceover of Trinity and Cypher talking to each other about trying to track down Neo, who they're assuming is the one, but they're not quite sure yet. And it's the same thing where you have no idea what's going on, but there's mm-hmm. context already there. So it does make the rewatch value much more enjoyable. That is my my two cents on the opening cents. sequence. Well, I, I don't know. I have a fair character, mm-hmm. but if I had to pick one, it would probably be that one that we are trying to lead around to talking about anyway, Mr. Agent Smith. Oh, yeah. Uh, and maybe that's just because of Hugo Weaving, who's playing him, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure. Uh, Hugo Weaving, yes, shall we say, one of our other most favored Wachowski players. Yes, one of our. <laughs> we have an MVP list of many actors who work with the Wachowskis and he's got to be him and Joey Pants are like up at the top of that list they do appear to enjoy working with him a lot so he's pretty great right yeah, he's pretty freaking <laughs> awesome he he's just what can we say about Agent Smith that hasn't already know. been I'm said I'm sort of lost for words <laughs> I will say I think the best uh, acting in the movie and the best uh, scene in, in those more traditional terms is is the scene where Agent Smith is talking to Morpheus, doing and his virus gives speech. him a yeah, big monologue about humans are just the worst, and it's it's just great. Yeah. I mean, he because he he's Agent Smith and he has the glasses. He's very stern, and when you first watch the movie, you you know you might notice he's the one that talks the most, but you probably just sort of think of him as as the head of all the agents, mm-hmm. and the more important one. Yes. But then he takes off his, his sunglasses to and talk to Morpheus. He takes he off his little uh, the earpiece. Yeah, his unplugged earpiece. Yes. And he sort of becomes a whole much more interesting character. Yeah. That doesn't actually belong on the the bad guy side, if if you will, the the machine side. He's more someone who's frustrated with the entire system mm. that's been set up. He is fantastic. And uh, Hugh Weaving is just great. I mean, that's that's part of the key yeah. with his very deliberate American accent and everything. You know, he just if has I were presence. Gonna, yeah, <laughs> if I were gonna have an AI machine who scared the crap out of me, I would hands down choose Hugo Weaving every time with that voice he's he somehow manages to he sounds inhuman yeah he sounds like someone who is sort of learning learning language but also really enjoying it in a way really rounding out all those syllables Mm, he's good at monologuing man you know if he was a different actor i think agent smith would still be interesting but he wouldn't necessarily uh steal the show like he does agreed uh, I've read a couple of different things. I would need sources to back this up, but his voice, as uh, some said, he was trying to base it off of, you know, old radio announcers mm-hmm. like Walter Cronkite. And then I think I've also heard him say that his inflection and just how deep his voice is and the manner in which he speaks, um, he was trying to imitate the Wachowskis and how they talk. Which they do. If they you do. watch the interviews, that they is how... 
They talk. I mean, good luck finding interviews. Yes, that we're going to say. Do very many they don't do press, which is but respectable. There is some behind the scenes stuff, like The Matrix, where you, you could totally hear this if yeah. you find the parts. Yeah, as soon as he says it, you're like, oh, yeah, I can totally see that. Which is delightful to me. <laughs> I, I do enjoy him very so much. So he's great. We he's like fantastic. Him. Good villain. We like all of them. I, like Mor- uh, I feel like I'm giving Morpheus the shaft. Right well, now. I was going to say, in terms of the villains, it's kind of cool because. You have him, and he's sort of the emblem of all that is scary machines. Yes. And then <laughs> you have your secondary villain, yeah. which is Cypher, and he's great, too. Oh, he's um, you know, a lot of the times, one kind of overshadows the other, mm-hmm. but it's just different because they with him... They complement each other well. Yeah, and, and with Cypher, it's more personal. You know, you feel the betrayal since he's supposed to be part of the team, but he does not want to be anymore. And, you know, they have a scene together. That's a great scene. I love uh, that scene, the steak scene. Yeah, where they're in a diner, he and uh, Hugo, Cypher and Agent Smith, he explains why he he wants to go back into the Matrix and why he's going to betray everyone else. Which, and honestly, as horrible as he as His he reasons is, are sound. His <laughs> reasons are actually rather sound. Um, he doesn't like life in the real world because it sucks. Yes, it does suck. It's interesting because... He, you know, there's the red pill, blue pill choice, and blue means the story ends. You don't have to find out about the Matrix. The red pill is where you actually have chosen to learn about the Matrix. If you take it from his point of view, not knowing what the Matrix is, taking that red pill, finding out, and then being told you're free by Morpheus, but always following everything he says. Mm-hmm. And he does make a point here. He's like, that's not really freedom, just being told what to do all the time. So it's it's interesting because his reasons are sound, but they're also rather questionable yeah. and dubious. That's an interesting quality yeah. of in terms of how that relates to Morpheus, as you said, which we can use to cleverly transition mm. on to talking about Morpheus yes. like you wanted. I've seen some people um, talk about, say, the lobby scene and how... Uh, Despite the fact that it is really cool and everything, they are essentially uh, killing real people who happen to be cops in the Matrix world. Yeah. And, like, what is that supposed to say about a protagonist? And sometimes it's framed as a, a flaw, like, we're not supposed to think about it. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's what it is, because I think Morpheus is actually pretty consistently portrayed as someone who would be willing to sacrifice that. You know, he, yeah, he says mean- that, he has that line where he says. As long as people are in the matrix, they can be used against us. So yes. They are, which they can. Essentially, our enemies. Yeah, if they're not, uh, if they're not one of us, they're one of them. Type yeah. of a deal. Yeah, and can't remember. I was reading something. <sighs> I forgot it. Just the suggesting, you know, that that Morpheus may have uh, known how difficult certain things. Would be he talks about um how they don't bring people out of the matrix. When yeah, after a certain age, they certain don't bring age. them out because it it does severe damage to the mind. It's a yeah. lot to take in, but obviously he's like Neo, you're the exception <laughs> because you're the one. So we need to we need to take you out of the matrix and unplug you. Yeah, he's perfectly willing to to do these things. Yeah. he's really quite uh, stubborn. I mean, that comes up even more in the other movies. Oh, and yeah. it's framed more as a, occasionally a flaw, but I think it's kind of cool that the movie mostly leaves it up to you in mm. the first one uh, he's you know he's Lawrence Fishburne he's just kind of cool and That's he seems awesome. like he knows what he's talking about oh, yeah. so you generally trust him and you just you you like him he's the one who explains yeah. the world to when, you but when, when you, you start someone, to think about it yeah when you have someone explaining the world to you and you're getting pulled into it you automatically trust them mm-hmm. because you're assuming that what they're saying is correct because how is the audience going to follow all these rules if the rules are wrong? And so it's nice to have a character actually outright say, like, wow, what a mind trip. Can you believe you? Like, he mm-hmm. believes this and you trust him. And you get that with Cypher. So it's interesting because obviously Cypher is not a good person. He is going back into the Matrix for a lot of the wrong reasons. <laughs> he wants to be famous. He wants to be, he said yes. he wants to be important, like an yeah. actor, which made me laugh super hard. Well, I was thinking. We have all these sort of excellent character actors mm. playing all these these great, very distinctive roles. And so, perhaps we should talk about yeah. the Keanu in the room. Oh, uh, the Keanu. Because I have some things to say about him. Yes, go forth. All right, I will. <laughs> <laughs> Something I see a lot about, about the Matrix, because, you know, Keanu Reeves, we love Can him. Can we just he's say right now he's the perfect Neo, and yes. there is no other Neo? He's a great Neo. He's great. 
he's often, you know, people make fun of him in I various movies. <laughs> not not quite as much in the Matrix, although you still get people making fun of his his whoa his whoa. whoa. What's happening? Yeah. His his moments. Most of uh, his lines are very like one worded questions. Yes, yes. And uh Which I'm fine with. <laughs> but but what you see sometimes is people saying, Well the Matrix is perfect for him because yes, it's a perfect they, they knew how to use him essentially saying he's really lucky because the matrix is the perfect movie for him to look good <laughs> and i think it's kind of underselling it because i even thought that myself until i rewatched it one time i thought you know that's fair keanu doesn't have the best range in the world that I makes sense you. and then i watched it again <laughs> and there are a lot of scenes where i found myself thinking he's actually really good you oh, know it's fantastic. it's not just like oh he happens to work in this by being himself he's no. he's working hard <laughs> he does he a loves good job. The, he loves the material. The one surely. I remember that's sticking out to me when I uh, first had that realization upon some, you know, million three watching. Yes. We've uh, seen this movie way too many times. Is when he, uh, he freaks out after, was that after he, he tries to jump? Yes. No, it's not after he tries to jump, is what, it? What freak out part? He freaks out when he's in the chair and, and training. Yeah. And then he, he throws up afterwards um which part is that after that is when it's right after morpheus explains oh it's when he explains the, the matrix yeah it's, yeah, it's, it's before the first the time he goes into the chair and, and it's uh before he's been uploaded with i know kung fu yeah i remember <laughs> watching it and, and thinking about the context of how people talk about him in the movie and just being drawn into it and suddenly realizing like you know, this is a very believable Reaction. Panic attack. Yes. And at no point am I watching this thinking like, no, oh, there's Keanu there. I just, you know, I felt like I was watching Neo. And that's exactly the quality that I think a lot of people dismiss uh, is the fact that he really does feel like the character. Oh, know? yeah. He's, he's Neo. He's not just like Keanu there. Like, he's very distinct. I mean, certainly Neo has has mannerisms and, and things that are distinct and you could even make fun of them. But they're very consistent. Mm. And he's he's a real character, especially in the first movie. Oh yeah, I think he's he feels like a real person. Yes, this is going off of your uh, your Dark Knight trilogy theory. Yes, well maybe we should talk about that more <laughs> when we've covered the other movies. True, but there's yeah the the overall is the the most you're gonna get with Neo, I think you'll get the most out of his character with one. Yeah, well you can almost say. If that makes sense. Yeah, I know that makes sense. Yeah, I was trying to think of a way to differentiate between. Neo and the other more ones. superhero Neo, but you know yeah. both of them are Neo. Yes. Just the this most is the more grounded. This is the most grounded you're gonna yeah. see Neo. Real guys. world. Yeah. Neo. Yes. Yeah, I really, I was reading up on it and I really like all the characters and I enjoyed the costuming, but for him I didn't realize this. Um, and this just goes with just the production design in general, which is freaking amazing. But before he gets unplugged in the Matrix. I believe the costume design for him, they wanted to make sure he's always in ill-fitting clothes. So his clothes never really fit him. That makes sense. To kind of mimic how he just doesn't feel at ease in the world that he's in. He doesn't look quite right in his suit, you know? No, he's like, it's just, he, he looks ill-fitting. and Uncomfortable. Uncomfortable, <laughs> which is really just like tiny little visual cues like that, which is really cool. And plus the fact we talked about how everything's tinted super green when they're in the mm-hmm, Matrix. Mm-hmm. Which is really obvious when he's running around in that office building trying to hide from the agents in the beginning. Um, yeah, I always found, I don't know, just thinking about, about like him wearing a suit. Yes. Uh, sort of a tangent, I guess. Uh, there is a great feeling that does relate to, to him playing it because he does the whole confusion thing yes. <laughs> very well. Solid. In the, the first part of the movie, before essentially he gets out, yep. uh, everything before... He is horrifyingly unplugged <laughs> in his little uh, embryo uh, casing. Pod. Yeah, his pod. Mm, his little gel pod. Uh, and there are all these moments that they just feel so intriguing and mysterious. Even even when you know what the Matrix is, like he as a character and you, the audience, are, are on the edge of understanding something, but you're not quite there. I was thinking of when he's supposed to climb out the window. Yeah. And climb down to escape. He doesn't do it. He gets taken in by yeah, the agents Yeah, because he's like, instead. this is crazy. And yeah. he's absolutely right. It's but so crazy. They conjure this feeling really well where he's like out there on the uh, the balcony. He's Those, on the You ledge. can't count it that. The ledge, yeah, yeah. he's literally on the ledge. And it doesn't just feel like, oh, he's in danger of 
of falling to his death, you also feel like, you know, <laughs> climbing down or like going out off the ledge like represents something more and like the first time you might see it, you're not even sure what it is. Yeah, and, they oh. they do a good job of feeling like he's missed an opportunity mm-hmm. and he gets caught. But you also they like do something a, really bad has just happened. Yes. but you don't quite understand why. Yeah, and it's great because they manage to make you feel like the agents are terrifying, and you don't know why yet. Mm-hmm. And you also aren't sure if he's made the wrong decision by not going out the window, but you know it's wrong. You're yeah. just not quite sure about the details of why yet. But I feel that feeling mm. is also conjured, like when they pick him up yes. later and they they get the tracking bug out of him Ugh. literal bug oh my god another point Can for we just grossness. that scene <laughs> just hold yourself every time you watch it and be like it's okay belly button we're never gonna <laughs> let that happen to you um yeah. they had the the line that when i was a kid i did not realize it was metaphorical where neo is told that he's been down this road uh, he doesn't want to go down it again. He knows what's down there. Right. And he should essentially take a different path and come with them. And I always saw a literal road, and I thought, what is down there that he doesn't like? I don't get it. Later, <laughs> it's a I beautiful figured it shot, out. though. <laughs> yes, it's a great shot. And when I figured it out properly, I still had that feeling I got when I was younger and I didn't quite understand it, where you don't understand the choice he's making right away. And neither but does it he. feels so momentous. Yeah. It feels like... This is a life or death decision. <laughs> yeah, it feels like everybody is kind of chugging along and pushing him towards this great origin story of being like a superhero. But since it's coming from his point of view, he's just kind of going along for yeah. the ride and not quite understanding his choices. So even though they're momentous and the characters around him are very like, oh my gosh, he's doing this thing. He's been upgrading. What if he makes the jump? Mm. The simulation test that we give him. It all feels momentous to everybody except for him because he's just so confused by what is happening and not understanding his decisions. And I feel like a lot of that comes from his performance. Yeah. Because, you know, logically, if someone was confronted with this in the real world, they would think, it's crazy to think I should do what you guys say. Yeah. (laughs) Or do what you're going to do. And you can tell he's feeling that in the movie. Mm. But in those scenes where he's supposed to be making a decision, you know, either when he, he... doesn't he can't do it or mm-hmm. when later he actually manages to it's in his performance that you can tell even though he thinks it's crazy he still feels like he should be he doing should be it doing it because yeah. he has f- always felt you know like something is off you can tell that he he agrees with them on some level he feels like there's something wrong with the world or the way things are going uh, which i think is present yes. in his performance yes and he does a great job at yes. it yes He's the best Neo. I think a lot of people boil him down to the confused woes in the start, and then, like, straight-faced sunglass Neo Mm. at the end slash the other movies. Yes. Uh, And they don't really allow for... The space between. Yeah, yeah, what he actually does do in between. Yeah. Which is why I really like the lobby scene, because he's not fully realized yet. He's sort of flying by the seat of his pants still a little in those action scenes near the end. He's, he's pulling off the crazy stuff, but yeah. sort of disbelieving it while it's happening. Exactly. Doesn't have the confidence. Which is fantastic. Yeah. Oh, he's great. And doing some great, great slow motion poses. Mm, yeah. Oh. Seriously. His, um, my favorite is the in the dojo scene where he wipes his nose. <laughs> yeah. He apparently, I'm not sure if this is correct or not, but I believe he improv that, and it's kind of homage to like Bruce Lee, which is great. He's good. He strikes some fierce poses. He's pretty, he does. pretty pleased. He has great posture. That is true. Yeah. All of them. I just watched them do their fight sequences, <laughs> and I'm like, this is... Very upright. Insane. <laughs> He's a dedicated <laughs> dedicated student to the choreography. I feel we've covered most of the characters. Yes. Um, what else can you even talk about in a movie? There's, there's like, so much, though. There's so <laughs> much to talk about. We could talk about how cute the Sentinels are. I think they're adorable, even though they're terrifying. Oh, they are terrifying. They are terrifying, yeah. but they're kind of cute. <laughs> In an evil, we're going to destroy your ship kind of a way. I mean, you know, you, you mentioned the um, you mentioned the green. You mentioned yes. the look of the movie. Uh, there isn't that much to say there. I mean, they, they make good decisions they about how to frame things. They incredible decisions. And they made a great overall decision. Uh, to differentiate yeah, between the, the worlds. worlds there. I mean, they did uh, green for when they're in the Matrix, and then they try and highlight 
I believe, more blues in the real world. Mm -hmm. I was thinking, in a sense, The Matrix, compared to some of their other work, Mm. it's actually a bit straightforward in terms of the editing or the way the the story is told. The transitions are amazing. It's in order, yeah. We should talk about that. Most of the excellence, besides just, you know, standard doing a good job with each scene, is, is more to do with their choices about how to frame the whole movie yeah. I, think. I, I feel like what we said earlier with bound they don't really waste anything yeah. that they put on frame but in um, a sense they might they might not be showing off quite, quite as, as much. much it's a bit more natural yeah i mean there's some shots especially like the opening scene with trinity you know where you get close-ups where you're like this just looks like a live action yeah. anime or like, yeah you could say most of the showing off is yeah. really just them homaging this stuff that yeah. they like. Yeah, and like even the subway fight scene between Neo and Agent Smith, it's literally turns into a western where they're both, you know, their yeah. hands are yeah. twitching and like a piece of instead <laughs> of like a piece of hay, tumbleweed. Tumbleweed, yeah. yes. Newspaper. It's just newspaper. So, I mean, there are definite homages to a yeah. lot of different genres in it, and those I think are the times where they're really focused on making it look amazing. Obviously, but, though, there is like bullet time, yeah. of course. Which and, is but that's not to say that they're not making an effort with the rest of it. Yeah. The Am amount I of thought that goes into the composition and the. Understanding uh, from watching the behind the scenes, yeah. I believe bullet time was done with cameras set up in a 360. Yeah. yeah. All shooting one after the other, essentially, yeah. very quickly, which. That's how they did it. Yes, a lot yeah. of crazy. That way they can they can spin that. around a person because they have the shot from every possible angle at once, essentially. Yeah. It's yeah. And it's, every movie ripped it off. I mean, this is a movie where they invented techniques that hadn't been invented before in order to pull off some of the stuff they wanted audiences to see on screen. That's awesome. They're essentially they're pushing mm-hmm. action movies. Yeah, they they mix their love of, of some of these more traditional forms of action filmmaking. Yes with trying to push the bar in in new ways. I mean, I guess, you know, the whole big change for American or Western movies, Mm -hmm. I guess, was was the use of wires and things like that, right? That was the big difference that that we didn't really do at the time and is more common now, you know? Not not as common as they might like it to be. Yes, but but definitely. still, it's done now. Helped open the door (laughs) a little bit more for that. Not to say they were the only ones that were pushing for that at the time, but I think they're arguably... A big mass phenomenon. Of course, then, like, um, Crouch and Tiger came out. Yes, in 2000, the next year. That's even more overtly, like, a combination of Western audiences and, um, you know, non-Western styles of of filmmaking, obviously. Yeah. But Matrix was a pretty big push in that direction. Agreed. What is the movie about? Oh, gosh. What are the themes? I have a question for you. Yes. Actually. Would you pick the red pill or the blue pill? Well, the red pill, loyal listeners, if you cannot remember, is the one you take to escape the Matrix. Yes, and the blue is the one where you stay. You know, I think Lawrence Fishburne is a very convincing man. He is. So it might be enough to get me to to do it. I feel like if we're going off of you making a decision, say you're Neo, and it's not just literally somebody offering you a red pill or blue pill, but you everything that you've experienced up to yeah. that point. Yeah, well, stuff that And then you get that offer. I would definitely take the red pill. I'm like, you've come this far. You need to figure out what's going on. And at on. that point, it probably doesn't feel like he's much safer in the real world. Yeah. Uh, in the Matrix, I should say. Agreed. <laughs> in the real world. That is the According Matrix. to him at the time, yes. Yeah, it's a trip. Um, I think one of the hardest scenes I have unpacking every time I watch it, and it's one of those ones where I'm like, I just need to be a philosophy major because this is this is a lot, and I feel like I'm missing it. I'm mm-hmm. trying to. I always get something a little bit more out of it each time I watch it. But the scene with the oracle gets a little gets a little uh, trippy for me sometimes. I appreciate that she is upfront about him breaking the vase before he breaks it, and there's all that fun spoon bending. Um, <laughs> but it's just it's fun. It's interesting, but it's a it's a tricky scene. But the, the actress is amazing. Yeah, Gloria Foster. Yeah, she's great. And unfortunately, she passed away before the third movie. The third yeah. movie, which we'll you know address we when will. we get to that one. Yeah, that's a great scene, and I mean, she's only in that scene. Yeah, but uh, but she feels like a bigger presence, or she did to me back yeah. when I used to <coughs> watch it all the time. Yeah, it's hard. Also, for me. a very uh, I want to say warm, funny scene. Yeah, which I think we've talked about, maybe not in the podcast. I don't remember. Mm. As something that a lot of people don't really give the Wachowskis credit for. Mm-hmm. That they can be funny. 
Yeah. And they can be very uh, uh, sweet, kind yeah, of just, I mean, just nice. Like, it's a comfortable scene to yeah, watch. Yeah, she's I get like that a grandma. She's literally baking yeah. cookies for you guys. And some of the scenes with, like, the crew, too, in, yeah. in The Matrix, it feels very Homey. comfy to me. I love that scene when they're all eating uh, together. <laughs> yeah, and they're There's talking about There's a lot about. of chemistry between the cast, mm-hmm. I feel like. Yeah, she's. I, I like her. She's. It's like hmm. the, the the movies are you know taken very seriously, but in this scene, you have kind of a, a grandma figure. Who I think my expectation when they all talk about her with such reverence, like you're yeah. gonna go see the Oracle. I mean, that's not exactly who I was expecting. Like, yes, an old wise woman. That's what she says. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um. So she, she kind of subverts that expectation, yeah. which is nice. She's sort of puncturing the. Uh, the self-seriousness of it, in a way. Yes. You know, Neo isn't sure what's going on. Yes. He's trying to figure that it out. That is his M.O. She's trying to help him, but she's also poking fun at him. Yeah, she's teasing him about it. She's like, oh, you're cute. You're cuter than I thought. I no. can see why she likes you. And he's like, who? She's like, not too bright, though. <laughs> Just like, my fave. Yeah. Uh, you're very pretty. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, just, it's, it's interesting to see that being one of the most important dense scenes. parts of the movie for you know this philosophical and world building discussion that you're talking about yeah, yeah and yet it's actually one of the easiest scenes to watch probably it's just very pleasant yes <laughs> perhaps something that didn't always go as well in the later movies yes a that bit is a more complaint. blatant exposition mm-hmm. that isn't couched in so much other nice stuff to distract you from the fact that you're being fed <laughs> ideas but yeah that's, uh, that's a good scene it's a good scene obviously yeah there there isn't as much you know complexity I guess in the philosophy of the Matrix in fact I feel like part of their goal mm. with the trilogy was to make it more complex with each one I think yeah I can get it in the sense that they're trying to slowly introduce you yeah. to the world in the same way that Neo is slowly coming to terms with certain things but I, I wouldn't say that it's less complex I no, just well, think they're they're holding your hand a little less bit more with on. the first one. It's yeah, there's less going like, on. Like um, the other movies are more about these competing philosophical ideas, mm-hmm. and the first one is more about introducing you to the main ones. Yeah, the basic ones that that drive that movie before they challenge them later. Right. So it's it's there's just less first of all in terms of the amount thrown at you, and also it doesn't conflict as much. It's fairly easy for most people to get on board with the things the Oracle is saying, you know, they're not that weird compared to what the architect says. Yes, <laughs> what some other people say in in later movies. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can just generally follow along with it. Mm-hmm. So, it's essentially just if you want to take it as allegory or metaphor or something, yeah, it's can. it's just about um, you know, breaking free of the system again, just yes, like all the chess movies. That's a good thing. We did that with Bound to talk about similarities and differences. Mm-hmm. And of there course, there are quite a few similarities actually. Yeah, there are. Aside from you know casting some of the same actors and some of the shot compositions and even the music, I think it's the it's same, same guy. Yeah, the music is actually quite similar yes. <laughs> if you listen to it, which is just funny when you're watching Bound. Because you're very thrown. You're like, oh, oh I didn't know that's the Matrix very, music. That's yeah. the Matrix soundtrack. Hey, hey, how about that? Yeah, they, there's a pretty distinct sound for all three Matrix movies. It doesn't really deviate too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gets a bit more, I would say, electronic in the, the sequels. But mm. it's it's still this very epic, heroic music a lot of the time. Yeah, I think we were talking about, when we were watching the film again, loving certain scenes, but both of us agreeing, it's very hard to choose a favorite scene when you know that the last 40 minutes of the movie exists. Yeah, it's just a single great scene. Yeah, it's hard to, I mean, it's just a really good ending. It's a strong ending and strong beginning. It just kind of sweeps you up and you get really invested really quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially when Neo decides he's actually going to stay put and fight Agent Smith. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but if I hadn't known that there were sequels going into it, seeing Neo open the door <laughs> and having him get shot by Agent Smith would have been such a bummer. Yeah. Well, that's a, we, sh- we could talk about that. It's an interesting part. I would say probably the most controversial part of the Matrix. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think you and I both like to say it's a it's a perfect script, you know. It's yes. just It's been poured over. But yes. I know that some people think maybe the one weak link is what you might call the uh, 
power of love yes. saving Neo. Yeah. And I don't know if you want to defend that from any particular viewpoint because I, I like it. It's always worked for me. It's always worked for me because I think the romantic plot is subdued, but it's mm-hmm. there. Um, and uh, it is kind of bolstered by Cypher and his discussions with Trinity. Yeah. I mean, even in the beginning, like the first couple lines, he's like, you like watching him, don't you? <laughs> type of a thing. So, I mean, there's little hints and insinuations that it's there. And I think what might throw people off when they first see it is knowing that that's how it ends is her saving Neo by telling him that yeah, she with loves a kiss. him. <laughs> with a kiss. Saves him with a kiss. It might seem for some people like, wow, they really tacked that on to try and get out of that. Which is cheesy, too. Yeah, I guess so. The Wachowskis are cheesy, guys. They they are cheesy, and I think, you know, for me, I'm a sucker for that stuff anyway, so it wouldn't really matter to me even if it was kind of glossed over and silly and just love saves all. Yes. I would still probably be okay with it, but I think it does actually work very well in a more layered sense because uh, it isn't just about that, you know, essentially... I've always thought of it as, well, it's just a logical problem. You know, she tells him, the oracle said, uh, that would she would be in love. With a dead man. With, with, well, and with the one, right? Yeah. And we know the oracle is supposed to speak the truth. Yes. Uh, she tells him that, you know, he can't be dead. Yeah. Because she has now realized completely she is in love with him. And so obviously Neo's brain, what is still there, he just thinks, well, obviously, you know, A plus B equals, equals C. I'm alive, and I'm going to kick you know, some ass I'm now, I'm fine guys. now, because yeah. she logicked me out of death. Yep, that's how <laughs> it works, guys. You can't tell us otherwise. Well, I like, that. I mean, essentially, that's what's happening, is, is she's almost saying, like, well, you can't be dead, and I can prove it. Yeah, because I love you. But, of course, in what is actually happening on the screen is also kissing him back to life. Yes. And I like that it works on both those levels. Mm. I do love that money shot of her throwing herself over him while the Sentinel's coming in yeah. right before they hit the ground. I have to say, something that never occurred to me before, mm. I was watching it again this time, because I really fully buy into the fact, I guess, that they're all in the Matrix. Oh, they're I in their chairs. Seen that too. And then I was just watching Cypher yeah. jump all over their bodies, yeah. and actually thinking about how the actors had to stay quiet while he was like getting up in their faces, faces and, and being like haha I betrayed you being all being kind of creepy especially yeah. with, with Trinity it did remind me because um, I just think of them as asleep I'm like well yeah, they're not there they're not there it's fine yeah no I thought that too and I think the reasoning is because when they do mainly interact with each other it's mainly with Tank you know is at the computer so you don't usually see their bodies unless their bodies are getting beat up you don't see Tank interacting with their bodies that much. Mm. So I think, I, I mean, I'm not sure if it's the same for the, the sequels, but like Cypher is the only one who is actively talking to them while they're in the Matrix yeah. and they're also physically present. He's getting right up and straddling right Morpheus up in there. there. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because you're like, oh, they technically had to film these scenes twice where one with his end of dialogue where they're all physically present and then one with Trinity's dialogue with the phone mm. call and they're all dying. Which people apparently have a problem with switches not like this line. I don't know. I've heard that, but then when I did see that once, a lot of people were uh, rejecting it. So yeah, that's I think good. we might be in the clear. You I know? think we're in the clear. We could talk about switch if you want. Yeah. I mean, I think if we're talking about what makes it like their other movies and what makes it different, mm. that's very relevant. Go for it then. You want me to do it? Yeah. Yes. So, uh, the original plan was for Switch to, correct me, we looked this up. Yes. Uh, be a man in the real world. Yes. Yeah, and a, a woman in the Matrix. Correct. Which obviously just ties into many Wachowski themes, mm-hmm. as well as perhaps give some insight into different ways they view the idea of the Matrix and like what it means to identity. the characters. Yeah, yeah. and identity. Because I think the idea would would obviously be that she is choosing to be a woman in the Matrix because Mm -hmm. you can sort of decide what you're going to look like. That's kind of interesting to me because the Matrix is obviously considered a bad thing (laughs) in the movie, and yet at the same time, this character would sort of be getting something out of it Mm -hmm. that at least in the present she, she... doesn't appear to be able to get in the real world for obvious reasons. They live in a horrible, <laughs> resource-starved, awful world. And, you know, uh, we didn't say specifically, but obviously this did not happen in the movie. You know, Warner Brothers the studio rejected it. it. Yeah. Uh, I believe they just said 
they thought it would confuse the audience. I mean, I'm sure there may have been other reasons that they didn't want to say outright, but it didn't happen. Yeah. But it's still kind of interesting to it's watch, a cool especially concept. once you hear it and you know her name is Switch, and you're like, oh, that's classic Wachowski subtlety right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of like the the Jesus, you're my savior, man. Yes, this is said to Neo. You're my your own my own personal Jesus Christ, I believe is yes. what he says. Yeah. Yes. And he's like, You need to unplug, man. <laughs> it's just It's uh, a little on the nose, but it's awesome. Yeah, you gotta watch this movie more than once. Yeah. Otherwise you won't pick up all these nuances. Oh yeah, they're so subtle. <laughs> just kinda like the Alice in Wonderland and Wizard of Oz references. Yeah. They're Good. really into that stuff. They are. Well, I mean, you know, it, it works. It applies going down the, the rabbit hole. And we talked about w- with Bound. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is a story about uh, two people who are, who are breaking out of the system they've been forced into. The rules they're supposed to follow. And yes. the Matrix is just the most literal representation of that possible. Of the system. It's an actual uh, system. Yeah, it is a, It is an actual system of control. I think that is a phrase that Morpheus uses. Yep. And it's great for the Wachowskis here, and what probably made the movie work for a lot of people in a way that many of the others don't, mm. is that it's kind of the perfect stage for for them to be able to just literally state a lot of their themes, because mm-hmm. that's literally what's happening in the story. Yeah. So it's a perfectly logical thing for the characters to be talking about. I remember reading somewhere in an interview that they did, where they were talking about just the, kind of the, the viewing experience of The Matrix, and we'll talk about this more with the sequels and how they actually wanted to release them and mm-hmm. how the studio said no. Oh, yes. But they said they always kind of thought of the, the viewing experience of The Matrix as kind of The Matrix itself. It's like you're going into a movie theater, you're plugging in into a dark room, and then you come out and you're back into reality, mm-hmm. quote-unquote, which I thought was very cool. Well, it certainly sounds like something they would think about. Yes, but it's a nice, it's a nice thought. Mm-hmm. That, you know, they're not just viewing this as just a movie where they can kind of explore and subvert different genres that they really like yeah. and pay homage to stuff and also put in a lot of interesting philosophical ideas about reality and perception and identity. But they're also viewing it as a an actual film experience, what that means to them. I was thinking what, what sets the movie apart from some of their others. With Bound as well, mm. I think you could say just Bound in the Matrix probably, Yeah, is that it is far more efficient and basically wastes no time whatsoever on any tangents. Yeah. And pretty much everything they will make from this point on out, possibly just because they had the clout to let it happen, mm. has a lot more... Uh, you know, little excursions into stuff they wanted to try or think about that, you know, maybe you could chop some of it out more. Yeah. This is a very fiercely edited movie. It's The transitions are amazing. Yeah. I mean, tons of people have talked about this movie and done, you know, essays and in-depth ghost readings and video blogs and all that fun stuff. And I remember one of them has mentioned many times that the transitions in this are amazing they're not wasted Mm -hmm. and they help fuel the idea of not feeling like you're entirely awake up until the point where neo actually gets unplugged it's just interesting are there any other similarities or big differences that you can think of between the style of their other movies i haven't really thought to be honest i think in a way the matrix doesn't need to be talked about as much as some of their others. It, yeah. it, it kind of does what it says in the tin, despite the fact that it is a very mind-blowing tin. Yes, <laughs> agreed. It, it's. I know this is going to sound silly, but it is similar to Bound, I think, in that it's very contained and upfront what it's talking mm-hmm. about, which is silly because it is technically part of a trilogy. But the other two are definitely evolutions and expansions of the first one like if you just wanted to watch the first matrix yeah. and not watch the other two which is a very popular opinion for some people <laughs> yeah. just pretending there aren't sequels you could do that and still be satisfied with it it has a very strong you know beginning middle and i end. think it's it's valid in a sense yeah. like you, you can do that i understand aside from the problems people have with the sequels a lot of people just like the idea which is a cool idea of the end of the first movie being sort of neo saying in his little phone call to the audience almost well like now this was my story now you take the lessons from this and go out and live your life to the fullest live your life the way 
without systems and control. It should be lived, yeah. yes. And then that's it. Like, you don't need more story. Yeah. Of course, they wanted to tell more story. Of course. And there's and it's such an expansive world where you can you definitely have enough material to, and yeah. they did use it. It's easy to see why someone would want to tell more story. Exactly. But at the same time, it's such a, a strong standalone story. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not a lot of, like you said, tangents and deviations. It's really just, like, Neo's story of him yeah. realizing you he's could the assume, one. You could assume, okay, so then he went on and saved the world. Exactly. Because now he's the one. And you could be fine with that. And essentially, and in, a, you know, in a way, that. that happens in a more complicated manner. Yes, in for the, sure. In the sequels. But I, you don't actually need to see it to know that's what's supposed to happen now. Right. I think it's interesting because uh, this happens a lot with, I believe, trilogies, but especially sci-fi trilogies, because like we said, the first one is usually the world building and exposition for the rules, but the sequels feel like one different movie. The first movie in the trilogy always feels like its own entity, and it could end, and you wouldn't have to watch the sequels mm-hmm. to be content with the world that you've been introduced to. Whereas the sequels feel like one movie split, which yeah. happens with a lot of, of sci-fi trilogies. I mean, with Star Wars, for sure. And this was definitely one of the first examples I can think of of that being done very deliberately, yes. where they filmed it at the same time. Yeah, and then that kind of triggered a wave yeah, with, like, you know, of Lord other. of the Rings and, and stuff like that. Yeah, I was thinking of... Um, who who you go weaving is also in. He's, having, he's having Lord. a good span of years there. I mean, that was, that was pretty big for him. I think quite a lot of people, much like myself, went into Fellowship of the Ring and thought, oh, Agent Smith is here. And because The Matrix was his, like... Yeah, that's his big thing Yeah, his him. breakout. He wasn't really in a lot of popular movies before that. We love him. We love our Hugo Weaving. You're going to see a lot more of him, guys. <laughs> you will see him in so many guises later. Yes, and lots of guises. Lots yes. of roles and guises. In and in one films. instance, you will see him but not be able to see him at all. Yeah, and it's going to be amazing. Yeah. Great. I mean, he's in so many other things. He is. Just because I he's in him. all the Matrix ones. He's great. Like, obviously, if Joey Pants didn't die, spoilers. Spoilers, guys. Yeah. One, he would be in an almost equal amount of stuff as mm. Hugo. But, you know, as is, I think Hugo basically has the crown for this. He does, crowning. Yeah. Achievement. But, uh, shame Joey Pants dies because he was so nice in the movie. No, but we did talk about his creepy facial hair a lot when we were watching it. Oh, we're it's like, awful. I feel like it's similar to how the mafia boss's son is costumed and bound like just the way they costume cypher with this yeah. stupid goatee you're like i hate him you just know that no hero could ever look like that yes yeah well it's just like no hero would make those choices no none of those <laughs> shaving choices with cypher if you don't already know that he's the one that betrays everybody do you know that there's something off about him yeah he doesn't toe the party line yeah Joey Pants lives on his own. Which is okay. I mean, the Wachowskis would approve of that sort yeah. of thing. But the problem is he is selfish about it. Exactly. He's going back for greed. Yeah. Which is not great. I mean, in a sense, the resolution of the whole series allows for the idea that some people might like to be in the Matrix. Yeah. Just not the way he did it. Yeah. No, not, not so great. It's good. What more can we talk about? I don't know. I think the truth is, you know, the lot can be saved for the other two. Yes, this is true. Even if it is relevant specifically to the first one, Agreed. we can bring it up then. Sure. It'll happen. It will. You're going to hear so much more about The Matrix, guys. One last thing I'll say about similarities mm. to their other movies yes. is that next to Bound, this is, of course, the most 90s of all oh my Wachowski God. movies. So 90s. The leather, the phones. I mean, more so the than Nokia the other Matrix phones. movies, even. Because you spend more time in 90s Matrix world. You do. And you get to go to that 90s club. It's great. Or you get to hear Rob Zombie. Yeah. And then I will say... There's some Marilyn Manson in the yeah, credits, Yeah, that was in the too, credits. Right? Uh, both the first two, both end with Rage Against the Machine songs. And I can't remember what the third one ends with. It's not that, though, because I remember being disappointed last time I saw it. Aw. I guess it makes sense. There's no need for that much aggression once the story is over. True. But still. Uh, so you can get a very good sense of Wachowski's musical tastes. Mm. They do the evolve, folks. Yeah, they, they do, do change, evolve. but at the time, it's uh, they it's got about that 90s a tone they like, and it has to do with anger. Yes, it does. And yelling. I uh, believe they they ended on a Rage Against the Machines. What is it called? Wake it's up. It's called Wake Up. Yeah. Yes. Uh, which is another subtle message from so the Chaskies. So subtle, guys. Subtle storytelling right there. <laughs> to the audience. <laughs> <laughs> so great. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of subtle touches like that if you take a look. Mm. Oh, I was gonna bring this up super quick. Mm-hmm. I didn't even t- we didn't even talk about the CGI and how good it looks. 
Yes. The special we effects. Think it still looks it great. It still looks good. That's all I, I wanted to say. I would say the only part that's questionable in the first movie is the Sentinels themselves look really good, but you can tell if you look that they're not in the scene. You right. Know? But that kind of works with the, how the creepy production design. Yeah. It makes it more I mean, atmospheric. Everything's so blue and weird looking yeah. anyway. It's not really a big it's deal. Not, I mean, they look really they look impressive off, considering they they're good. from uh, 18 years ago yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, it's always been easier, of course, to do machines and things like that. If they're in the dark. Which is yeah. why they ran into a few little issues with Reloaded, because they tried to do more with people, which uh, is yes. harder. Burly Brawl, guys. And uh, that is something we will certainly talk about then. But I, now I would say that the first movie looks really good. Yeah. And it holds up really well in, in pretty much all other ways. Go watch it. Yeah, you should watch it now. I don't know why. I don't know why you wouldn't. You listened to the whole thing without watching it. Weird, guys, but interesting, bold choices. Now you know about the betrayal mm. and so many other plot issues. Yes. It's it's a really one of my favorite movies to watch and it has amazing rewatch value. If you haven't seen it, actually, you know, let us know and we'll watch it with you because that's yeah. an experience I would love to have. Yes. Just seeing someone else yeah, watch it. Yeah, someone who knows nothing about it. But of it. course, you would have to have not known anything about it. <laughs> a rare unicorn. <laughs> so if you, for some reason, skipped the rest and got to here and then heard that and don't know anything about The Matrix, then you're a perfect candidate. You are. Other than that, you know, we'll any knowledge you disqualifies you. Yep. So. It's a, it's a harsh candidate pool, but... So... That's a pretty good time there. I think that's it. Getting 75 minutes. Woo woo, wrapping up. Yeah, which is not as long as The Matrix. No. But. Oh, and, the, and you know, we haven't, to be honest, we haven't even covered, like, half the stuff that people have going in-depth into this movie. There's so much. There's so much. Go check out the internet if you're not satisfied with this discussion. There were just, There's there were just websites dedicated oh, to it at Dedicated the time. fan bases, guys. Awesome 90s websites, Oh, too. so great. All that leather. Yeah. Anywho, I think All we right. should sign off. Yep. All right, this has been Grumpy Octopus Presents Wachowski Watch. We're talking about that Matrix. This is Vicky. This is Camden. And we'll uh, talk to you guys next time. Yep. Bye. Bye. Wachow. That's right. I, I can take him out. No, you can't. <laughs> if you guys liked our show, please let us know. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcast, and also feel free to contact us on our main website. That one is grumpyoctopusproductions.com. That I'll link you up to all of our social media. You can follow us on Twitter and or like us on Facebook, and you can reach out to us at our email account. That is grumpyoctopusproductions at gmail.com. I think we're sensing a bit of a trend here. <laughs> um, also on the website, you guys can check out all of our episode and production notes and fun little extras as well. So, as always, thanks for listening, loyal listeners. Alrighty, signing off. <laughs>